0: You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Ensychedelia. Ensychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au.
1: Good afternoon, this is Ensychedelia on a very sunny Sunday afternoon. Feels a little bit like spring outside uh, in the studio with uh, Ash and Penny. How are you two? Afternoon. Yeah, really good, thanks. Thanks. Enjoying it? Yeah,
2: I'm well. I'm I'm tired. I did a big walk yesterday. Um, There was a fundraiser to raise money for emergency homeless relief in Geelong. So did you
1: walk in Geelong?
2: Yeah, so the, the fundraiser was Queenscliff to Geelong, which is thirty uh, seven k's. No, I did not do that. <laughs> I started in Leopold, which is eleven and a half k's. That's <laughs> so still Geelong. a fair, That's still <laughs> a fair walk. Next year I'll do I'll do the thirty seven. Yeah, maybe. How, how long does the thirty seven k
1: walk? That would be an all day. They started.
2: It? I think if at it's seven thirty. Yeah, I think they. I don't know. It took us like two hours to to do the eleven. It was pretty casual. Yeah. There's barbecues along the way. Like it wasn't. From oh, my like old days k's. as a uh, <laughs>
3: as a Boy Scout, um, we averaged about five k's an hour. That's yeah, generally. I've got, I've got very short legs as yeah. well. Yeah, you yeah. we just have to keep up with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so we've got lots on for the program this afternoon. So we'll, we'll get stuck into things pretty quick. Uh, we are going to be hearing some more from when you were in Sydney now two weeks ago. Uh,
3: yeah, David Shoebridge uh, gave a speech at the um, sniffer dog protest up there. We're going to hear a little bit from that, and then hear from David Shoebridge himself and um, Peter Malins to hear all about... There's some new data on, on Sniffer Dogs, which David will go into, and um, Peter will help us contextualise. Great. And uh, and then we're going to hear from Wendy from Know Your Stuff New Zealand with the, re- the results are in from last season's testing over there, and she'll kind of catch us up on what's been happening in the New Zealand drug market.
1: We did touch on it briefly uh, because there was a report... Um, on, I think it was the Know Your Stuff NZ website or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll get into, into that a little bit more. Also catching up with uh, uh, Greg Denham later on in the show uh, from the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, but also uh, the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, the mm-hmm. Australian branch of LEAP, or used to be known as Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, but they've gone with a more proactive, I suppose. Yeah, uh, the, the reason for that
3: was um, just to focus more on justice reform broadly, because there's things outside of Prohibition that yeah, that's you know, people can focus on.
1: Thank you also to Freedom of Species, who will be back uh, 1 o'clock next week. If you want more from them, 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the Freedom of Species uh, page, and you can find their website, you can find their podcast. Uh, while you're there, also jump onto the Psychedelia ones. We will be having podcasts, I promise, in the next uh, f- four months. Uh, sometime within that that period of time, it's not too long, is it? Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's go to Sydney, uh, where you were a week and a half ago. Uh, the protest, contextualise it. We've got a bit of a uh, bit of audio here, but um so um, we've
3: covered it on the show. But for anyone who's sort of catching up, there was um, a couple of events in New South Wales where New South Wales police, uh, in collaboration with the people kind of running some events, denied people entry to uh, a a couple of events based on a positive detection from the sniffer dogs, despite finding no drugs on them. So this was kind of like a bit of a response to that and, and, you know, pushback against the sniffer dogs in general.
4: Thanks, Miles. I like that intro. um, I'd like to start by acknowledging we're at the front of a court on Gadigal land, and that's got significance. This is First Nations country, always was, always will be. Yeah. Let's acknowledge that sovereignty now. And let's acknowledge how much this place and the criminal justice system that it represents, how much damage it's continuing yeah. to do to First Nations people. Yeah. 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 I'm going to, to one of the Greens MPs in the State Parliament, and together with the Young Greens and Geran and Tom and others, we run sniff off as well. But now the New South Wales government the coalition government, full of those great civil libertarians in the Berejiklian government, um, they have decided to apply that same law across the whole of New South Wales. Any piece of Crown land, public land, Hyde Park, for example, this bit up in front of the Downing Centre, any bit of Crown land, and that's 40% of the state, any bit of Crown land, if you want to gather in groups of three or more, and you don't have prior permission from the police or the landowners. Well, then those fellas over there, men and women of the New South Wales Police, or any ranger or crown land manager can come up to you and tell you to move on and leave if you're gathering together in groups of three or more. This what we're doing now. They can make illegal with a simple direction. We are going miles back in civil liberties in this state. We, I give you this promise, on behalf of Greens and Sniff Off, we will continue to challenge drug dogs, we'll challenge them in Parliament, we'll challenge them in the courts and we'll challenge them on the streets. We will challenge the increasing militarisation of our police, the, the, the attack on our civil liberties. We have a right to be uh, troublemakers, you have a right to be young. Uh, you should have a right to smoke cannabis if you want to. I personally yeah. think you should have a right to have an ecstasy tablet if you want, in the same way as you have with, uh, with beer and alcohol and whatever. Let's get the state out of our personal lives and we're not causing harm to others. Let's fight these laws. Let's get on the streets and march for our right to occupy this city, and we will win eventually. Thanks very much. Yeah.
1: And that was David Shoebridge in Sydney about a week and a half ago with a, uh, with a, a, a rally uh, against the, some of the um, atrocities of this sniffer dog program, really, in New South Wales. And now on the phone line, uh, David Shoebridge uh, live. David, how are you doing? Oh,
0: I'm not too bad. I hope you can hear me okay. It's not the world's best um, hands-free
1: in my car. Yep, that's right. We can hear you, hear you well now. It's so um, uh, in the time uh, that's passed, has any uh, anything more progressed on the sniffer dog front?
0: Well, since that rally, we've now got out the data, particularly about strip-dog searches, uh, or strip-searches following a drug-dog indication. And the data that we've got out, I find deeply distressing. What it shows is that 2017, and we've got the full data for 2017, in 2017, there were more than 1,100 strip-searches of people following a drug-dog indication. And in two-thirds of those cases, nothing was found. So people have been subject to the initial search following a drug dog indication, you know, where they've been patted down and their pockets emptied and their bags gone through. That humiliation is normally in public. But then another 1,100 times, the police having found nothing with that initial search, have taken somebody into a cubicle or back to a police station, made them strip off all their clothes, you know, peered in all their... Uh, all their private parts and, um, you know, extreme humiliation and um, an and extreme frontiers of liberty. And then two-thirds of the time, they still find nothing. And, and, wow. and the numbers we have now in New South Wales in 2017, that was a record and, and, and almost double the number of strip searches we'd seen the year before.
1: Is, I'm sorry we're all just kind of looking at <laughs> yeah. each other
3: a bit shocked in the studio here that's um that's some really shocking stuff.
1: Yeah, 1100 people search, strip search and I think um I mean maybe the, the gravity of it doesn't sit with some people so much because uh it, there's this sort of rhetoric that the police throw out all the time that oh no we we're, we're here to protect you you know if you don't bring drugs you've got nothing to worry about but but the fact is as you said, two thirds of these people don't have any drugs on them, and they have to go and be naked around a stranger. You, you try and get naked around a, a stranger. I mean, it's hard enough if you, uh, for for most people, even going to the doctor sometimes, and you know you have to get something checked, and it's a bit awkward. And they're a medical professional. They're there to, you know, a police officer isn't a medical professional, and they're not doing it for medical reasons. It's uh, it's they're creepy. Not doing it not doing it for any rational reasons
0: because we know the drug dog program has nothing at all to do with stopping supply. And, and, and most of these people, the 1,100 people, so most of them are young people. Um, far too often, this is a young person starts to the day at a music festival. You know, they've been looking forward to a music festival, going out with friends, excited. Uh, might be a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, and they get to the front of the music festival, the drug dog sits next to them, um, they get the initial search, and then when nothing's found in that initial search, they then get stripped down and literally humiliated, um, and made to feel, you know, utterly violated. And then nothing's found, and they said, "Oh well, I've had a lovely day at the music festival." And for particularly young women, um, um, you know, that that sense of violation, that sense of um, you know personal invasion. Stays not just for the day, but then colours all their interactions they have with the police thereafter. And you know, and and for that to be wrong two thirds of the time, uh, Mm. you know, you wonder what it will take to get a majority of MPs to say enough stuff.
3: So the other thing happening in New South Wales, David, that we um, I think we spoke to you last time on the show about, but maybe you could give us an update, was the, um, the events where people were denied entry despite no drugs being found. Now, I believe there's, there's a court case that you guys are following up about that, is there? Yeah, well,
0: we, we, we kicked off an injunction to try and stop the police doing it, and the, the court basically said to us, well, it hasn't happened yet, so it's um, hypothetical that we, we can't intervene. Uh, Every injunction is hypothetical. Uh, But anyhow, uh, so the the injunction did succeed in stopping them. But what we do know is this. At Midnight Mafia, which was around about in March, uh, was the first time the New South Wales Police decided to use a drug dog indication, even where no drugs were found, as a reason to refuse people entry to a music festival. And at Midnight Mafia, about 187 people we now know were refused entry based upon a false positive from a drug dog. 187. Amazing.
2: Um, and w- where's the justification coming from for a false notification? I mean, where's the justification coming from anyway? But...
0: Uh, they, they don't try and justify it. It's, a, it's a heads you're guilty, tails you're um, guilty.
5: <laughs> kind of guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so it was just, just this rhetoric about being tough on drugs, you know. Um, but but no no rational justification. They haven't even identified where the powers they're seeking to rely upon come from to do this. But but we'd heard rumours, a couple of rumours of this happening, a couple of people have approached us. We didn't at that stage know how many at Midnight Mafia. And then the police put out their press release before, above and beyond in April and saying they were going to do the same thing at above and beyond and anyone anyone identified by a drug dog Uh, whether drugs were found or not, was going to be denied entry. And that's when we really kicked up the campaign. That's where we got the crowdfunding. Um, And and we, I think, not just me, but people around the country thought this was just a bridge too far. And there was a huge amount of pressure on the police. And what we now know is that at Above and Beyond, they only denied about five or six people entry, despite having a great deal more resources than they had at Midnight Mafia. And, And so that community campaign that you and others engaged in to embarrass the police, has already worked. We've, we've, now, we've now crowdfunded for a legal challenge, and, and the question will simply be whether or not we, the legal challenge focuses around Midnight Mafia, or it focuses around above and beyond. And the lawyers are looking at whether or not, the best way of doing that is with a, what's called a class action, where everybody basically joins the same action, or whether or not we just group together a whole lot of individual cases. Um, and I
1: hope to have more to announce on that in the next couple of weeks. Mm, that's um, exciting uh, in some in some sense uh, because I, I'm glad that there is action being uh, taken against these um, unprecedented um, sort of uh, uh, excursions of power into the into the extreme. Really, uh, it's um, and
0: then then, then a the final insult in New South Wales the. the the uh, New South Wales government has now decided to um, add some additional powers in under this what's called Crown land laws. And Crown land is most public land in, in New South Wales, about 40% of the state. And they've now said that anybody gathering together without permission, in groups of three or more, um, uh, for any reason, um, can simply be moved on at the direction of the whoever's in charge of the land or the police. And... Um, and, and you know that's most of our parks in Central Sydney, it's the footpath out front of Parliament, um, and and the police don't need a reason, the landowner doesn't need a reason, but if you haven't got prior risk permission, you can't gather together lawfully um, in New South Wales. It's a um, that those similar powers were used against Snipoff actually um, when they were out of the Olympic um, out of the Olympic Festival area at, or at the Olympic precinct campaigning against above and beyond we were moved on there by the police because we didn't have permission from the landowner even though it's public land and that attack on our right to protest that attack on our civil liberties that's something we'll be challenging in parliament and with a big protest um the week after next
3: um i, I want to hear more about that that protest david but just the it there is an election coming up in new south wales i think early next year um <coughs> Where does the opposition sit on this? Is is there any kind of cross-party um, collaboration here between you and some of the other parties to maybe get a broader political coalition to pu- push back against these laws?
6: Well, um, the coalition, the, the Labor are hopeless on drug
0: and they they have been cheering through the drug dogs. In fact, Labor started that program. Um, I mean, there are people in Labor who hate it, but that being said, there are some people in the coalition who hate it as well, but... Um, Labor are pretty hopeless on drug dogs. I mean, I can only hope that they will be slightly less aggressive than the Coalition. Um, but when it comes to the Crown Land thing, we have managed to move Labor, and we now actually do have Labor on record as saying they will vote with us to um, break down those Crown Land laws and, and 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 reverse those anti-protest
6: laws. So, um, you know, <laughs> we, there- I find I find I find um, people that support us from whichever political party. I don't care where they come from. We want to restore our
2: rights. Is there any interaction between different jurisdictional um, parties? Like I know the Labor government in, uh, that's currently in power in the ACT well, and a lot of different jurisdictions and internationally do not use sniffer dogs for these kind of reasons and things like that. Um, how come the New South Wales <coughs> party would be so for it and not back it up with anything in other du- jurisdictions? With um, any of the... Well, we
0: we have a particularly noxious version of Labor in New South Wales.
2: I am from Sydney originally. <laughs> yeah,
0: we, we have this thing called the Labor Right in New South Wales, which has ah. uh, you know, uh, strong, strong, um, often strong religious affiliations, um, um, and and you know, pretty backward, um, backward approach to many social issues. I mean, if 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 you know your political history in Victoria. The Labor Party split between the sort of the sort of right wing religious part of it, which formed off in the DLP, mm. and then left the rest of Labor, um, which was a more which is, has created Labor in, in Victoria being a more left wing kind of animal than it has in New South Wales, where all that sort of religious right stayed in the party, and it does make a cultural change. Okay, um, yeah. I, I'm not pretending Labor in Victoria is perfect, but it's um, it's it's it normally positions itself to the left of labour in in New South Wales.
6: Mm. Um,
0: yes but but mind you you'll find people in australia they they always think the uh, labour party or the government in the state across the border is more attractive yeah.
1: <laughs> you, don't live with
0: it. you don't have to face all of its, all of its personal infringements
1: uh, just about out of time, David, but um, before we finish, there was another announcement um, recently. It's, it's not quite along the same lines that we've been talking about, but sort of is. And I'm wondering uh, your thoughts on uh, the the push to give uh, power for the military to be used uh, in civil situations uh it was announced uh, i think two or three weeks ago that the turnbill government will introduce legislation uh that will allow uh the use of the australian defense force um to assist state police police forces with public incidents um with a much lower threshold at the moment they can but the threshold is quite high um it's really you know the rhetoric around it is for terrorism and whatnot but what are your thoughts of this lowering of the threshold
0: well, I've not yet seen an incident in Australia where we've wished to have the army involved to deal with mm. civil unrest. Yeah. Um, it's not based upon any evidence. Um, it's, a, it's, it's an extremely dangerous precedent. I mean, the army do not have the training to deal with civilian unrest, do not have the training to, um, to protect civil liberties. And I don't know if any of you have seen some of the recent reports about the behaviour of the SAS when they're out dealing with civilians in places like Afghanistan and the like. I mean, these are not people who are trained to interact with with citizens and civilians, and it's a very dangerous power grab. And it goes, um, you know, in line with a whole lot of extreme additional police powers that have been handed to the state and territory police forces as well. At, At some point, if we get a government that wants to abuse these laws, there are enough of those laws on the statute books now at a state and a federal level, so that we could lose our rights as citizens um, with a with a noxious government, and that should trouble everyone.
1: It's very concerning. Thank right. you, David, for um, chatting with us today, and we will keep um, up to date with your uh, with the protest action, the protest that's coming up. Ash, it's the fifteenth of August, I
3: believe. Do you want to just say any more about the protest just before we uh, um, just before we leave? Anyone here? who can.
0: Yeah, 15th of August, you'll find it on on a number of Facebook sites. 15th of August, 8.30 up front of Parliament. 8.30, so you can come before you go to work or before you go to uni. So 8.30 to 10. And uh, straight after that, we'll be in Parliament actually moving a motion to try and change those laws. Great.
1: Thank you very much, uh, David Shubridge.
6: Always good to speak. Okay, cheers. Bye.
1: It's David Shoebridge, uh, Greens, uh, member of the Legislative Council in New South Wales uh, and also uh, the man behind, uh, well, part one of the people behind the Sniff Off campaign in New South Wales aiming to uh, change the way that uh, Sniffer Dogs uh, or the Sniffer Dog program currently operates in that state. This is 3CR. Uh, You're listening to In Psychedelia. Uh, Nick? Ash and Penny in the studio, and we will be catching up with uh, Peter Malins uh, from RMIT about Sniffer Dogs shortly. Right now, it's Temple Step Project with Move It and 3 sour. Move it, Temple Step Project on three CR eight five five AM, three CR digital and three crorgau dot This is in psychedelia. Uh, Nick Penny and Ash in the studio and on the line right now. Uh, Peter Malins from RMIT, our resident expert on sniffer dogs. Peter, how you doing?
5: Hi, good. Thanks, Nick. How are you?
1: Also very good. Uh, enjoying the sunshine today. Yeah, it's a
5: beautiful
1: day. It is. It's good to good to um. Actually, have some nice weather uh, for the first time in a long time. Got to sit outside in the sun; it was it was very lovely. Uh, <laughs> Sniffer dogs. Let's get let's let's get stuck in. I, I hear you have some. Um, well, Ash was mentioning you've got some some new uh, statistics. There's uh, some well, new the, findings. The Greens have the new statistics. All oh, right, which okay. Peter can kind of contextualise
3: what that means, why the false positives kind of come about, and. Um what that means for people that have been strip searched. The thing that I didn't realise, Peter, that, that David just shared with us um, just now on the show, eleven hundred strip searches.
5: Mm, yeah, it's really, is, it really is quite concerning. Um, and as David mentioned before, you know, um, to have that many people strip searched and only, you know, actually police finding drugs one third of the time is really quite disturbing. It was already really quite concerning that so many people were being. Searched at all, um, given the high rate of you know about three quarters of the time it being a false positive just for a regular search, but to discover that people actually being strip searched that often, two thirds of the time not finding drugs um, is really yeah really much more concerning. Again, um, uh, I've been I've been actually doing interviews with people for the last couple of years about their experiences of having been searched by police after a dog indication. And one of the key things that people tell me over and over again is just the the ongoing trauma they experience from those kind of searches, particularly the strip searches, that, that, that the emotional trauma associated with that is really quite um, quite concerning.
1: So, I mean, this this is really the the crux of it because it, you. People are getting searched. There's nothing found on them. Um, the the reason why they're getting searched um, appears to be quite um, ineffective at determining whether or not um, they, they should be searched in the first place. Uh, it, there's not much justification there at all. And it's having an emotional toll on people. And that emotional toll also feeds into that uh, relationship that people have... Uh, with the police, and not not just those people, but I think even um, the the sort of periphery, like we, we haven't experienced mm-hmm. that person. I haven't been strip searched by the police, um, but I've spoken to people that have, and just knowing that the police are doing that makes me mm-hmm. feel less trusting of uh, of those mm-hmm. actions and of of the police when they're doing that sort of thing.
5: Yeah, I think it is actually really hard for people who haven't been stopped and searched by police to imagine the the emotional impact that that has. Um, So even people who've not actually ended up being strip searched but have just been stopped and searched by police on the basis of a dog indication have talked about the emotional trauma associated with that, the humiliation in front of their friends or in front of other people, and the impact that has on their relationship with police in the future as well. Those people who are also then taken off for a a full strip search, um, uh, you know, it's really – the impact of that is is just – so deep and so long-lasting and I think it's hard for other people who haven't had that experience to really understand how how traumatic that is and the impact that has for people um, in their relationship with police but also their relationship, you know, with their their body and with other people and things like that. So I think this data, you know, does need to be taken really, really seriously and and understood how important that is to to think that, you know, we can't just have police... um, you know, taking people off of strict strip searches without really, really good rational justification and, and it
3: just doesn't seem that's here in this case. So you've um you you sort of said there's a long lasting impact. Have you interviewed some of these people like at quite a distance from their experience and like what is what does that look like? Is that like months months later they're still kind of anxious yeah, around for, the experience or
5: Yeah, for sure. Some of the people I spoke to it was, you know, at least you know, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago that they were searched. Um, so I didn't do a longitudinal study over a period of time, but people were talking about experiences from years ago um, or an, ex- an experience from years ago and how it still, you know, um, would come up for them as a very traumatic experience um, impacting on all sorts of things. But also, I could, you know, in the interviews, I could hear in their voice how much that telling that story was still emotionally affecting them. And I think that kind of thing needs to be taken into account much more than it is
1: if and especially since if we want to see effective policing i think that's really the goal here we don't want to see no policing uh policing is obviously an important part of uh of a of a civil society there are things that we you know we don't want people getting mugged in the streets we don't want people getting carjacked or all of these sorts of things but then this sort of action starts to erode at effective mm. policing it seems i mean what how do we how do we change this mm.
5: Mm, absolutely. It, it In some ways, just doesn't make much sense to me that the police would want to, you know, rupture their relationships with, you know, communities in this way, um, especially when at these kind of festivals, they're cutting across such a wide swathe of, you know, um, different groups of young people at these kind of spaces um, and young people who for the rest of their lives will have a change of, you know, perception of their relationships with police. Um, so it is hard to imagine what the impetus behind it is, you know, um, and how we change that. But one of the things that was coming out in my interviews was people talking about, like you said, not necessarily not wanting police at festivals, but wanting police to engage with them and be there um, in a very different way, so engage with them in, in terms of being there for their safety as opposed to being there to try to catch them out doing something wrong. And I think they talked about a very different mood at different Festivals and events and spaces when police were there, um, ostensibly just to be there to help them keep safe as opposed to catch them.
2: Hmm. I mean, it just brings to mind for me like, what's it even worth, like, if for someone to find something inside somebody's body and and like in terms of possession what's it even worth like in a festival to say well we got this many people doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was involved in the um uh, Stay Safe Consortium that worked uh, on the pill testing in Grivenham uh, in the ACT in Canberra a few months ago oh. and it was really interesting our interactions with the police because they were a hundred percent there for community safety. Though like, we're here in case you know a fight breaks out, and we need to, you know, for, for all these other different reasons. Like we're not here to stop people having a good time. We want everybody to have a good time. We want them in the festival. We, you know, want we're all here to have a good day. And it's, mm. it, yeah, <laughs> it's more of a comment, I guess. Yeah. But.
3: So yeah. the
5: think, sorry, go on. Okay.
3: No, no, you go I was on, Peter. I think,
5: I think that the, um, I think a lot of the assumption that somehow trying to catch people out with small amounts of drugs is, you know, keeping people safe is based on so many false assumptions. Mm. You know, the assumption that um, that they'll actually cut, you know, get enough drugs to take out of the, the market. When in fact, what exactly. I find in my interviews and other people have found is people just, Keep using. They're not deterred by the drug drugs, They're not working to deter people or prevent people from taking drugs. They actually just end up making people take drugs in more dangerous ways. Um, and the other assumption, you know, is that somehow um, it's it, so that the idea that it's working, but also the assumption that um, that people are going to, you know, that not take that yeah, not taking those drugs is actually going to make people safer. And what we found, like, with your project with the Safe Safe Consortium is that it's actually about saying people are going to continue to use drugs in these spaces. We know that whether the police are there or not there. Mm. It's far better to actually find ways to make make sure people, if they are using drugs, have somewhere safe to go, will go to health services and not be afraid to go to health services if they need to, and can actually find out what's in their drugs if they um, are going to take drugs. So, yeah, it's based on a whole bunch of false assumptions that the dogs work and that, you know, somehow that's going to make people safer
1: and it's just not happening. Do you think the continued pursuit of this sort of policy um, isn't because uh, they think there's some kind of evidence that we haven't seen or or some kind of rationale that we don't understand, but because there's this um, idea that you, you must continue... Um, uh, uh, the, this sort of threat of of, of force of um of uh, of consequence for taking drugs because oh otherwise it'll be seen as permissiveness. I mean, this idea that anything that uh, anything about drug issues that isn't immediately saying it's bad, it's terrible, don't do it, is somehow being permissive. Is that at the core of this? Yeah. Uh, I'm
5: not sure if it's at the core. It's certainly an excuse that's used. You- Often, to sort of say that we can't do really positive things like pill testing. Um, I think, though, um, if that was the only reason, then it would be much easier for the police just sort of to, you know, maybe maintain the line that they're not condoning anything, but not going as hard as they are with things like sniffer dogs. To me, some of the ways in which, particularly New South Wales police, but other police around the country are as well, going in hard with things like sniffer dogs with no real good evidence about them, you know, reducing harm or working or anything like that seems to me more of a a kind of like taking the next step forward for making an aggressive stance which is more about trying to say we're being really tough on this we're taking you know we're taking it further rather than just a kind of neutral we don't want to condone it kind of thing so yeah it's hard to say exactly why but that that's yeah i wouldn't say that that's the core of it
3: so the other factor here is the the high rate of false positives what what drives the the false positives like you've kind of studied the the sniffer dogs like out in the field and, and the way that police use them yeah. what is it that drives such a such a high rate of, of false positives
5: well it seems to me that there's a range of things that 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 need to be understood to that go into it and one of them is the fact that dogs um, are really responsive to human cues and so studies have shown that throughout you know throughout the evolution of dogs and humans that um, dogs will actually read even very subtle human cues. So in a testing environment where police don't necessarily know where drugs are hidden or anything or have any particular biases, then the dogs pretty much are good at scenting out, you know, where drugs are hidden. Uh, but what happens in a field environment is that a whole range of other things come into play, including subconscious bias from the handlers and the police, um, but also a whole range of other contextual things like the environment, the temperature, whether the dogs are hungry, all that sort of thing... And um, so what happens is that um, the dogs in those contexts tend to rely much more on the human cues. So, you know, in my observations, that seems to be the case as well. But certainly, um, you know, some studies that have been done also show that the, the dogs are good at reading police cues, which, of course, means that bias is coming into it in those contexts as well.
3: I think, you know, for me, there's a strangeness to this where um, I thought that um, after the coroner's report into the death of Anika Vo in 2015, I, you know, I thought that there might be a bit of a change with the police attitude because that report did did mention that um, her and her friend were on their way to a chill space to actually get medical attention and the presence of sniffer dogs inside the festival actually dissuaded them from that. So, you know, I thought that that might be a bit of a turning point. It's a little bit... A little bit crushing for us here in the studio to find out that Mm. things are kind of going backwards.
5: Mm. It's surprising to me as well, just because of the, you know, just so much different evidence now showing that the dogs just don't work to deter. They create more dangerous um, drug use scenarios um, and they're not very accurate and they cause trauma and humiliation and all those sorts of things. It is surprising to me that, you know, every time evidence comes out, it seems like the yeah the drug dog programs either you know get expanded or you know certainly don't get wound back. So um, I mean I can see, as David mentioned earlier, that sometimes this you know, public pressure does manage to, to shift something. Like for example, with the above and beyond, you know, not de- denying as many people entry when there's public pressure. And then I saw later on, police said in the next the next event and the next um, media release that they we're going to only deny people entry if they did have drugs on. And I think that that's, um, you know, to do with the legal pressure and the public pressure. So these things can make a difference, but it does surprise me that after all of this research and the tension of so many years, yeah, the, pro- the programs are still getting rolled out and in South Australia as well and um, in Victoria yeah. too. So, yeah, surprising and concerning.
3: Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there for today. Thanks for uh, contextualising all those uh, statistics for us, Peter, and we look forward to catching up with you again.
5: No worries. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Nick. Thank, Thank you, yeah. you
1: very much, Peter. See ya. Peter Malens from RMIT who uh, specialises in um, analysing the Sniffer Dog program. Uh, very important thing to keep an eye on, especially um, uh, the the sort of um, ad hoc sort of approach that seems to be happening from um, police a lot of the time, this sort of making it up on the go and just deciding rules that seem completely um, outside of what the scope of the law should be uh, able to say.
2: Yeah, just to const- contextualise it a little bit further as well, I've done a fair bit of work in- internationally and in- you know, been to different conferences, doing different things, and and when this data is shown from Australia and now or New South Wales, usually um, with our sniffer dog programs, people are just uh, so surprised. Like I'm sure it happens in other countries, but not to the extent than it does here, really. Like we obviously there's sniffer dogs in airports and for trafficking, you know, yeah. but but not but not in social situations at events, you know. And it's uh, where uh, this I, many people are getting.
1: Yeah, it's probably worth as well just reminding you now as, you, as you're listening, uh, if you've experienced Sniffer Dogs in Victoria, it's a whole other ball game in New South Wales. Mm. Uh, you could be sitting at a pub in a beer garden and yeah, Sniffer Dogs will catch walk the through. Train. You're catching the train. You're catching the train. you are on university campuses. University yeah. campuses, yep. It is um, all over the place. And they tried to expand the program... Uh, last year over winter uh, in Victoria, with the announcement of uh, sniffer dogs uh, on Chapel Street, uh, they went down to Ringwood one day, which was really mm. bizarre. Yeah, um, and, then- and and we're down there in the in the sort of vague nightclub pre- precinct that uh, Maroon the oh, highway on. Ringwood has. <laughs> Sorry to Ernie, Ringwood, any Ringwooders. Um, but they had yeah sniffer dogs there which was um un- unprecedented um as far as we're aware not not something that certainly happens very often but um uh, it hasn't happened again luckily so obviously some um the, <laughs> the pressure helped mm-hmm. um but uh yeah you just got to keep keep on it yeah i think that also
3: shows that particular example the importance of responding to bad policy you know with a powerful response and very quickly because if that had have been established and um, there hadn't have been a strong campaign against it with the High Alert campaign, then mm. that may be the status quo in Victoria now if, if it wasn't for the case that we kind of push back strongly
1: against it. You're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR. In
5: 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday.
0: Years in the making. Radical Radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
5: At 300 pages the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Roy
0: or online at 3CR.org.au forward slash shop.
5: Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
7: Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR.
2: Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger.
8: Government support has led to many of our greatest medical discoveries. Cancer treatments, the polio vaccine, the mapping of the human genome. With such a wide reach, governments can push fledgling research into the spotlight. But, just as easily, they can sweep critical research into the dark. Which is exactly what started happening 50 years ago with the war on drugs. As Western governments cracked down on drug use outside the laboratory, they tried to control what happened inside it too. They began placing some substances in a special category, one for drugs considered highly abusable, totally unsafe, and, most importantly, medically useless. But the decisions were political, not scientific. And substances Thousands of scientists were actively researching. Cannabis, psilocybin, LSD, MDMA were categorized as having no medical benefits. That put scientists in a bind. To prove the value of these substances, they needed to research them. But government funding completely dried up, and all the red tape made it virtually impossible to carry out research. For 50 years, Scientific progress has been dragged down. Research that might have led to treatments for everything from migraines to PTSD. It all got lost in a bureaucratic wasteland. Fifty wasted years is enough. Urge your policymakers to end these senseless restrictions. And let scientists do their work.
1: Let's just, uh... Another like, nice little reminder of uh, the, the sort of one of the other aspects of prohibition, um, the harmed uh, our ability to um, pursue uh, research or, in areas which um, could be uh, really helping some of the uh, uh, some of the big problems at the moment, especially around um, things like depression and um, trauma and these sorts of things, which are um, uh, large and anxiety large yeah. in our society today, but. There's
2: actually, we're not doing news right now, and we might get time for it, but there's a big article out of the US on um, the rise in overdose-related deaths um, with any anxiety Uh, medications.
1: This is in Psychedelia on 3CR, and uh, Nick, Ash, and Penny in the studio. On the line now, though, is uh, Yarra Yarra Drug and Health Forum Executive Officer, Greg Denham. Uh, Greg Denham, also the representative of Law Enforcement Action Partnership uh, in Australia. Greg, how are you doing?
6: I'm fine, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, I'm
1: good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, good. Now uh, tomorrow is the monthly Yarra Drug and Health Forum meeting. Uh, it's held every month. It's open to the public. Um, uh, anybody can come along, I believe. Generally, if you're living in the city of Yarra, um, but um, I, I don't think people would come from far further away. But uh, what's on? Uh, what's on for tomorrow? Uh, well, look, anybody can come along to the
6: uh, meetings. Um, you know, we, we encourage people from Yarrow to come along, anybody who lives, works, who's connected to Yarrow, but we also do encourage people from outside Yarrow who may be in the alcohol and drug sector or just as a person, you know, in, in and drug issues to come along. We've got Nico Clark, who's the medical director for the uh, medically supervised injection room in North Richard, and speaking tomorrow. I think this is the first time he's spoken publicly about how the new... Um, injecting room is going. Uh, it'll be interesting. if going to reflect on the last 30 days that the centre has opened and, yeah, it should be uh, an opportunity for him to talk about, um, yeah, what's happened that, um, there over the last month.
1: Uh, yeah, geez, it's only been a month. It feels like it's been longer now, but, um, yeah, just, I mean, we're only in, just in August now. It was uh, July 2nd, I think, that it opened, was it? Oh, a bit earlier, was July it? 1st.
6: yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, there was a soft opening. So yeah. it was around that time, around that time it opened. So, um, yeah, earlier last month. So, yeah, it, it is um, only a month. It does seem like a lifetime because I know for those people that have been involved in the campaign to get that central opened, um, have been, you know, overcoming for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, it's only a month. So um, over that time, um, you know, there's been a lot of progress around... You know, getting people into the centre, there still needs to be a bit of work done. Uh, there's still some, um, I guess, some barriers or maybe a lack of confidence um, amongst some um, injecting drug users to go and use the centre. But there's only... There's not many of those people um, who are still injecting the public. There's been a significant change in particularly drug affected people and needles and sitting on the street. So it's already had a positive um, impact. And also, um, speaking to some local residents, they've noticed a significant reduction in sirens for um, emergency. So, yeah, look, I think uh, overall in the last month, I can say it's been, it's been going pretty well.
1: Mm. And this is one of the goals of the uh, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre as well. This is one of the reasons why the uh, Victoria Street... yeah. Uh, uh, Yarra Drug... uh, I've just muddled my... uh, Victoria Street Street Drug Drug solution. Thank you very much. um, uh, Popped up because this was... uh, A lot of this is about restoring the amenity to the Victoria Street area. And you're um, part of a group, uh, Greg, called uh, Restorative Yarra, or it's a a, a project. Can you tell us a little bit about the Restorative Yarra project?
6: Yeah, sure. It's um, it's part of the Melbourne uh, University School of Design, and it looks at the social planning issues around... Um, I guess occupancy of public space, and um, to a certain extent, restorative yara or restorative planning principles about how people um, who come from very different um, sort of backgrounds um, might sort of um, understand a bit more about each other and how you can come to terms with the fact that different people doing different things occupy a public space. So it's um, it's a challenging area. It's not like the physical design we're changing. We're actually trying to change or trying to look at ways in which the, the social um, aspects, you know, the I guess the, the people space and the way in which people see each other and uh, the occupancy of space and, and um, the way in which they use that space um, can, can be better understood. So, yeah, it's um, an interesting project and uh, certainly has its challenges, as you can imagine. So because of the issue of public injecting, it's probably more divisive around drug issues than any other. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. So we're working on ways in which we can better understand um, why why it is so divided and and how those two groups or different groups can come to understand each other a bit better.
2: Yeah, I just had a quick side note as well. Just happened to be at the pub the other day uh, chatting to some mates who are posties in the area and they were um, talking about how happy they were now that the injecting room is open and the differences they're seeing in the community after even only a month um, of it being open. So that was just like a completely random social situation for me. But um, when they found out what I did for work, they said, oh, that's this is so good this is so good that the the centers open. So I mean it's it, it affects all aspects of the community.
6: Yeah, look it certainly does and um and as you say, we, we often forget about the people that deliver services in the area like the posties and, and others and uh you know, they probably would see more um, you know, during their working hours than a lot of other people because mm. they now, obviously, they're they're out there on the streets, and um, you know they they get to see a fair bit of the um, the local area, and they they do see things which happen. And look, I think there are lots of people that can tell you all of the negative things that happen in that area, even even now. And there are some people that are still oppose and will tell you all negative things that, that can happen in terms of no But mm. you know, I think it's it's up to um, ourselves and others to understand the evidence to say look, this is, this is um, something like an injecting room. Um, it can work, it does work. It's not the panacea, it's not, it's not the um, complete answer, but we think it will go a long way to addressing a number of the issues that face people every day on the streets down there. So, Absolutely. you know, we're pretty positive and pretty confident that, that, that this will certainly um, get have got better
1: and will get better in the future now greg if you want to uh, stick around for a bit we've actually got another guest uh on the line from new zealand um new zealand wendy uh, allison from know your stuff nz wendy can you hear us I can hear you. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Oh, we can hear you. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Um, Now, we've we've only got about uh, five minutes left, but wanted to go through a few results from the uh, festival season over in New Zealand. You've been doing uh, drug testing uh, and have seen some interesting results, especially New Zealand. Again, very isolated drug market, um, which means a very sort of different drug makeup. and, And I think you've seen some of that in your results.
7: Uh, I believe so different from what would probably be a good place to start (laughs) I'm not massively familiar with the Australian drug market Um, certainly different from last year from our point of view what would you like to hear about
3: well I guess um so what what's changed between this season and the season before might be an interesting uh kind of touch point like what what sort of shifts have happened in the in the New Zealand drug market over that time?
7: Okay, well, we have seen an increase in the percentage of samples that they are what they are supposed to be, from 68% to, I believe, 79%, which is quite a significant increase. And this seems to have been d- driven largely by an increase in the percentage of samples of MDMA that are as... Presumed alongside an increase in the proportion of MDMA. So essentially, we're seeing more MDMA and more of it is, for want of a better word, legit. Um, and we we can't we haven't been able to outline a reason for that based on our data. But one of the things that we have seen for the first time this year is pressed pills that contain mdma in very large amounts and we're talking two to three doses here so wow. that's the sort of thing that your community really wants to know about before they put it in their mouth
1: yeah if people are used to uh taking a, a pill that uh is uh, you know one regular dose or even less than that um then having three doses all at once um can lead people to problems
7: it certainly can and, of course, you have people, I don't know how much this happens in Australia, but in New Zealand, you have people who will take two pills at a time, hoping hoping to improve their buzz, so to speak. And, of course, if you did this with one, one, one of these pills, you would be in potential death territory. So that is a, a bit of a concern. We alerted about that in January, and luckily people took notice. Um, The other thing I think that is worth paying attention to is the fact that 40% of the things we found that weren't what they were supposed to be turned out to be some form of cathinone and of those that 40 percent one third of them were a very specific cathinone called n-ethyl which has been around for a couple of years but we had our very first mass hospitalization back in february this year and it was discovered to be this stuff and we've been finding that at every event as well
2: Yeah, and that's what we we found in canberra as well at the, at the yeah, it's, it's
7: not particularly dangerous if you know that's what you've got and yeah. the correct dose to take. But the problem is people don't. They knew nothing about it and they exactly. take it thinking it's MDMA. And your standard dose of MDMA is three times your standard dose of N-ethyl So you're automatically overdosing. And then, of course, the results are not what people expect from MDMA. So they may take another one. And that's how you end up with people in hospital unable to sleep with anxiety and racing hearts and all those things that you hear about on the news.
3: So we're we're getting close to the end of the show, but um, you've been running for a couple of years now. Is the community becoming more familiar with your service and how is the government kind of relating to you now that you've been kind of up and operating and shown what you can do? (laughs)
7: <laughs> well, we have quotes from three out of the last four <laughs> prime ministers in support, but it seems that words are all we're getting at the moment. We're not actually getting any action. We may be able to get some action on the back of the medical cannabis law changes because they actually require a, a change to the same section as we do. So we may be able to to sneak in some legitimacy there. But in terms of actual action from the government, zip. Um <laughs> The community, on the other hand, are giving us very good feedback and telling us that they are approaching drugs more carefully, having seen us, even when they are not Mm. actually able to get a test, they are still more cautious with drugs. So that is excellent news.
3: Yeah, that is good to hear. I think that's about all, all the time we've got yeah, for today, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, we'll have to get you on the show again to um, talk about the uh, quote unquote synthetic cannabis uh, yeah. issue, um, but we might have to leave that for another day. Thanks for
1: joining us on Psychedelia today, Wendy. No problem. Thank you. Uh, Wendy Ellison from Know Your Stuff NZ, and you can go find them on uh, social media as well to uh, find uh, the report that was uh, recently uh, released. And I think there's also some um, uh, data on website. We'll find a link to that. There's poster. a good
3: blog as well that people can check out on the website.
1: Uh, now, before we uh, finish up, just quickly, Greg, um, before we leave you as well, uh, details for tomorrow's meeting. For those that want to attend the Aerodrug Health Forum, what time, where do they need to go? Uh, and is there a website uh, that people can go to for more information?
6: Sure, the uh, website is www.idhs.org.au. 12:30 p.m. at the Richmond Town Hall, Triple Three Bridge Road, Meeting Room Three, upstairs. 12:30 uh, we kick off. We have lunch, so um, come and enjoy the presentation by Nico Park. If I could just give a very quick plug to our AGM that we'll announce tomorrow, 26th of September. Uh, two till four in the same um, building, we will have uh, Gino Vumbarca talking about the Groove in the Moo um, uh, pill testing um, project, and we'll also have Tony Trimingham talking about um, heroin overdose on the 26th of September.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you. you. (laughs) Greg Denham from the Yarra Drug Health Forum, ydhf.org.au and uh, Bridge Street, completely free of teetering cranes uh, (laughs) now as well. Um, Just, you know, don't leave those things up in the wind. Uh, That is the end of the show, 3cr.org.au. If you want to find uh, more info about the show, follow the links to the program page. You'll find us on social media. Do get in touch with us. Queering the Air is up next. See you later.
9: This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday.
7: This has been a 3CR podcast you can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.